Any of you guys remember that commercial? I didn't either. Isn't that weird? It's a good commercial. We just don't remember it. That's strange. But how are you guys doing today? Hope everybody's doing well. It's good to be here with you all this morning. And we're going to continue with our service series called Change the World. With the idea of changing the world. Right? This is not just for fun. We're not just doing it because it's something to do with the idea of changing the world, right? You know, I love that video because you look at some of the people that were on there. It was all different people, right? Uh, some of the people, I was trying to think who I saw on there that stuck out to me. There was Amelia Earhart. There was uh, Einstein, of course. Uh, who else? Jim Henson. Would you think of Jim Henson as a person who changed the world? The Muppets? Really? But the dude changed the world, man. He changed the way we look at puppets, I guess. I have no idea. But, you know, taking the idea of changing the world and thinking about it, you know, it really, you think about these people, they all had passion, didn't they? They all had passion. They were all excited about something. And they went and did something about it. You know, when you think about the idea, it takes a lot of courage to change the world. It takes a lot of courage to stand up when people are telling you, man, that's never going to work. Really, you really think Jim Henson was like, dude, I'm going to make these Muppets, and it's going to be the best thing. It's going to be so cool. I bet his friends were like, dude, puppets are stupid. We don't want to see that. But the Muppets are still on, they're still around now. He did impact the world. I don't know if he changed it, but it takes being fearless, right? It made me think about the idea of being fearless champions, right? That's Texas Tech's thing this year, you know? We're fearless champions. Hopefully champions, right? Fearless champions. Fearless champions ever be. But for us, it's being fearless champions of the truth. Fearless champions of what's right. Because I love the last thing it says, the ones who will change the ones who think they can change the world are the ones who do. That's the people who change the world. So I have a question for you guys this morning. Is do you believe that we can change the world? That's a big challenge, isn't it? How about this? Let's don't let's don't go so big. Do you believe we can change Lubbock? And I don't mean like we can change Lubbock in terms of we're going to have another church and we're going to do... I mean, can we really fundamentally change Lubbock? What a big challenge. What a big question. And I have a picture of Lubbock somewhere up there. I didn't put my uh, slides on the paper, so you just have to kind of keep up where I'm at. Um, <laughs> hey, that's a nice picture. I'm not sure where that's from, but it's a nice picture of Lubbock. It's the best one I could find anyway. So we learned last week that there's problems in our city, right? We learned about Lubbock being the top in terms of domestic violence, child abuse. Number one in the state. Not something we want to be number one. We don't want to be that champion, right? But that's, it is what it is. It is what happens. Uh, we're in the top three of teen pregnancies, teen STDs. But you think of all these things, they all really come back to people's hearts, don't they? They come back to us as people. They're not problems like, well, if we have better education. We have good education. Part of it's education, but we have a good school system. But a lot of it is just people's hearts and where people are. And what I want us to kind of think about today is, before we get into that, who would you guys say are men who've changed the world? Just shout them out. Who do you think, who are men who've changed the world? Martin Luther King, okay. <laughs> who? John F. Kennedy? Uh, there was a list, I didn't put it down because I didn't have, I was going to take too much time to have the whole list, but um, some of the people on there were Gandhi, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, um, Jesus, obviously, Jesus was number one, by the way, 
on the list, Jesus is number one. I mean, why would you not think Jesus is number one on the list, right? He's got to be, because you think about the world as it is, Jesus really impacted the world. Um, but other men on there, Hitler was one of them. Not all good men changed the world, but they changed the world in different ways. So there's a lot of men that were on the list. Um, but I want to look at, we're not going to talk about Hitler and all those guys today, okay? I mean, there's really no point. We're going to talk about the men in the Bible who changed the world. Because you think about it, the message that Jesus sent out is what changed the world. And when we looked last week, the problems that they had back then are the same problems we have now, right? So if we have the same message, how do we think that we can't change the world? How do we think that we can't make a big impact? Because, you know, if Jesus changed it, and he called men to change it, what we ought to do is look at those men and say, what did they do? How were they that they went out and they changed the world? What made them make such a difference? And when I look at the men in the Bible, I think of them as the crazy ones. They were, and I don't mean mentally unstable people. I mean, they were crazy. They were radical. They were passionate. They changed the world. And I have a question for you guys. Would you say that the word radical describes Christianity today? I don't think so. When I think of Christianity, I think of love, kindness, peace, church, uh, I don't know. But radical is not usually one of the words that comes to mind. Because Christians are no longer the crazy ones, but back when they were... The first Christians, they were crazy. They were radical. And I think for us, in some ways, maybe we watered it down. We're kind of like, well, it's just what we do. It's just Sunday morning. It's just what we do. It's not, there's nothing crazy about it. But Jesus changed the world. And I want you guys to think about this for a second. The Son of God was born on earth, right? Very common knowledge to us. He lived for 33 years. For the last three years of his life, he started his ministry. He taught 12 men who would take his message to the world. Okay? Now, according to scholars, Jesus was not born on Christmas Day. All right? I think most of us probably know that. That's when we celebrate it. But he was probably born in June, they say, around 30 to 36 A.D. All right? 30 to 36 A.D. So he wasn't necessarily born at 0 A.D., but they, that's kind of the main... You look at history, when it happened. But that's about 1,980 years ago. So give or take 2,000 years when Jesus was born. Okay? 2,000 years ago. Now consider the facts about Christianity that the number of people in the world who call Christianity their religion in 2010 was 2.18 billion people out of 6.9 billion people. So essentially one-third of the whole world calls themselves Christians. Now, maybe it's watered down Christianity, but they still call themselves Christians. And when we think about Jesus 2,000 years ago and his followers Starting a religion, and here we are 2,000 years later, and one-third of the entire world says that's their religion, I think you changed the world. I think you impacted the world. I mean, even things like Coke. Coke has spread that much, but it hasn't changed the world, right? So think about this. I'm going to start a religion, and it's going to be a kind of tough religion. I'm going to tell you, you can't do the things you want to do. I'm going to tell you, you need to love your enemy. And it's going to reach 2.18 billion people in the world. Is that crazy? That doesn't sound crazy. It's not a religion that goes, hey, our religion, you can do whatever you want to do. In fact, we'll give you money. They go, that sounds like a good religion. I can see that reaching a lot of people. But if Jesus could have a tough religion and reach the world, that's crazy. He was a crazy one. These guys were crazy. And I'm going to read a few scriptures today and show you what I mean by crazy. Acts chapter 7. 
Acts 7, and we have a lot of reading to start off, so please bear with me. I'll try not to read it in a boring way. <laughs> Acts 7, chapter 7, verse 57 through chapter 8, verse 4. Shortly after uh, the, the church had began, um, Stephen was out, and we're going to pick up here kind of what happened. When, when Go back and read it. Stephen basically preached, and he told the Pharisees how bad they were. Okay, it wasn't like a nice sermon. He went and he just preached at them. But we're going to pick up close to the end. It says, Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. You know it's a bad sermon when people put their hands over their ears and begin shouting. <laughs> they rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that he died. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the region of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them in prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. They killed Stephen. Saul was going everywhere, dragging people out to put them in jail. And so they didn't go hide in the house. They went and preached. That's a little crazy. That's a little crazy. Let's go to Acts chapter 14. And if you're not familiar with the story, Saul, who was the one going around dragging out Christians, himself became a disciple of Jesus. And when he became a disciple of Jesus, he became known as Paul. So let's see if he was as crazy as the others. And I'll give you a hint. He was more crazy. Acts chapter 14, verse 8. And we're going to read most of Acts 14 here. It says, While they were at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. He had been that way from birth, so he had never walked. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached. Looking straight at him, Paul realized he had faith to be healed. So Paul called him in a loud voice, Stand up! And when the man jumped to his feet and started walking, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates, because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provided you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he, left for Barnab he, left, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. 
They stoned him and dragged him out of the city and left him for dead. Man, you're not in a good place if that's happening to you. And if you're hurt enough that they think you're dead, that is not good. But what did he do? He got up, he went back into the city, then he went to another city, and he preached. He made many disciples in that city. He says he won a large number. And then what did he do? Then he went back to Lystra. Do you remember where he was when he got stoned? In the first verse it says he was in Lystra. He went back to Lystra. Sounds kind of crazy. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I think if I got stoned in a city, I don't know if I would come back to that city later. I might be like, you know what? There's already disciples there. Let them do it. I'm going to go over here to this other place. But he didn't. He went back. I mean, we don't even know what stoning is like, right? We, we don't, that's not part of our culture. But I think if we saw somebody be stoned, it would really shock us that Paul got up and went back into the city. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger in the city, in danger, oh, sorry, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. So tell me again how hard it is to be a Christian in America. How tough is it? Don't you hate when you get flogged? Don't you hate people pelt you with stones? Don't you hate when they beat you with rods and you got to be on the run and in danger? This is crazy for us. Without a doubt, Paul was a crazy one. He was willing to be beaten, willing to be without food. We're not even willing to be without food. We struggle if we're hungry, don't we? You might be hungry right now, and maybe you're just like, I don't even know what it, I'm not even hearing what you're saying because I'm so hungry, right? <laughs> Paul was going without food, without drink. He was being beaten. It was, he was working hard, losing sleep. But I wonder, where's our craziness this morning? This guy was crazy. So we have no doubt the apostles were radical, right? I mean, those are only a few stories. There's a lot of other stories you can go read. The apostles were radical. But what I want to get to this morning is what made them crazy ones. What made them radical? What drove them? And I want us to remember as we start off, they weren't always that way. Whenever Jesus was arrested, what happened? What did they do? They ran away. One of them ran away naked. They ran away. What did Judas do? Judas betrayed him. He was the one who betrayed him. What did Peter do? Peter denied. I don't even know the man. These men, who were the crazy ones, these men who went and died and were beaten and went through all these things, weren't always at that point. And that encourages me. Because if we're not there now, we can get there, right? Yeah. 
That's an encouraging thing. But it's trying to figure out what helped them, what made them have the heart that they had. Let's turn to Acts chapter 4, back to Acts chapter 4. And one other thing, whenever Jesus died, Peter and the brothers, you know what they did? They went back to fishing. They were like, hey, I'm going fishing. I don't know what else to do. So they weren't always strong spiritually. They weren't always radical. It's easy for us to think, when we think of Peter or Paul, oh, they were always radical. No, they weren't always radical. So how did they get there? Acts chapter 4. We're going to read this and see if we can pull out a few things that will help us really see how they got there. Acts chapter 4, it says in verse 1, The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men, the men who, grew, who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness, show to a man who was lame and being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. All right, let's stop there for a minute. The first indicator we have, why were these guys on the spiritual edge? How could they go from weak, wimpy, running away, denying Jesus, to standing before religious leaders, knowing that they could be killed? How did they become those men? The first point this morning is they knew that God raised Jesus from the dead. They knew that God raised Jesus from the dead. See, earlier they didn't get it. Earlier, when Jesus died, they didn't have the spiritual mindset. They thought, oh, our king has died. We thought he was going to come take over Jerusalem and make the Israelites big like they used to be, and then he died. So they didn't know what was going on. They didn't have a spiritual mindset. In fact, they probably felt confused and hopeless. But if you'll go back and read the Gospels, and for time's sake, we don't have time to go read it, but if you read at the end of the Gospels, when Jesus came back and showed himself to them, he rebuked them for their lack of faith. Then the Bible says he opened their eyes so that they could understand the scriptures. And when, when they saw that, when they understood that he had come back from the dead, what is it they were preaching? Remember when, when, the, when the Pharisees came upon them, what were they preaching? Resurrection in Jesus is what they were preaching, right? That is what they were preaching. They were preaching resurrection from the dead. That, that's an exciting thing. You mean I could come back from the dead? How crazy is that? So let's... Remember that. Keep your place here in Acts. We're going to come back. But let's go to Ephesians 1 and see what Paul said. Was Paul of the same mind? Did Paul think the same things they thought? So keep your hand in Acts. And let's go over to Ephesians chapter 1. <clears throat> Ephesians 1 and verse 1. It says, <clears throat> For this reason, ever since, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. 
I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. See, Paul got the same thing. The power that raised Jesus from the dead, he said, is living in us. That's an amazing thing. That is the power for us who believe. And you know why it encourages me so much? Because I think of Christianity, a lot of times I think of what I have to do. Or what I don't need to do. Or what I should be doing or shouldn't be doing. I think about what I need to do. And I don't think about what is the power that's living in me. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's an exciting thing. In fact, the very thing that most people fear the most is what? Death and public speaking. Right? Death and public speaking. And the dentist. It's one of the top few. But think about this. The thing we fear the most, Jesus destroyed it. Jesus, it, it, it couldn't hold Jesus back. What are they preaching in Acts 4? Resurrection from the dead. Death is no longer a problem, guys. So, if you understand that, what are you now afraid of if you understand death is not a problem? Whatever. I'm ready to go. You're not afraid of anything. You can be bold. Let me ask you guys something. Have you ever had your inspection sticker go out on your car? Okay. Mine's out right now on our Pathfinder. Because in certain counties, your emissions, you, you have to pass emissions. So if your emission, if your uh, check engine light is on because of your emissions, you can't pass in that county. Now you can go to another county and pass. And so that's where ours is right now. We, we have to get our county changed so we can get our sticker changed. But the point being this. If your sticker is ever out, how do you feel when you pass by a cop? Aren't you worried? Like, is he looking at me? Or even if you pass by a construction vehicle with lights, you don't even know if it's a cop, right? You just see the lights going. There's this fear. But when you get it replaced, dude, you're just rolling, right? You pass the cops and you're like, what's up? You know? You're not afraid anymore, right? There's no more fear because you're taken care of. You're straightened out. There's no more fear. And that's a silly thing for us to fear. But you know what? These guys got it. Jesus rose from the dead. He had victory over death. What should they fear? Why am I afraid? And you know, if I have nothing to be afraid of, I can be a little radical. I don't care. What are you going to do to me? Kill me? Really? That's all you got? I mean, really, that's, that's, the heart. that's the heart they had. Let's go back to Acts 4. Get to the second point. In Acts 4, we'll pick up where we, where we stopped off. <clears throat> it says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Let's stop here for a second. The second point. What made them so radical? They had been with Jesus. 
I know you've heard this scripture before. They were ordinary, unschooled men. And I love that because I know for me, as a Christian, sometimes I feel like I need to learn more. I need to learn more. I need to understand some Greek. Let me get some Hebrew in there. Let me understand these things and become academic about it. But when we look at this, they were astonished that these men were so courageous. They weren't astonished, wow, how did you get so much Bible knowledge? No, they said, how are you so bold? How are you so courageous? So what if all the head religious leaders in Lubbock wanted to meet with you? And they were like, Martin, we need to meet with you. Listen, all the leaders of all the churches are here. And we're not happy. And what we want to know is, what gives you the right to talk about the things you're talking about? Who told you you could do that? I mean, that's a little scary. And if you think, well, maybe that's not that scary, think about this. For us, sometimes we have a hard time talking to a stranger. We're a little scared to talk to a stranger. Much less the religious leaders, the guys who everybody sees as the, 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 the head honcho, so to speak. But why could these guys stand up in the face of men, the rulers and elders of the people? Now, these guys, you've got to remember the culture they were in. They had grown up going to the synagogue. They had been te- taught, they had gone, gone through teachings in the synagogue by maybe some of these same guys. There was a, a level of respect given to the elders and the rulers of the people back then. So I think that's what made them wonder, who are you to be so bold that you could talk to us like this? Do you know who I am? I think that's probably how they felt. But how could they be so bold? They had been with Jesus, the Bible says. And I believe this, being radical, being crazy, takes being with Jesus. It takes time with him, learning what he teaches, seeing who he is, learning how we can become like him. And I think if we're not spending time with Jesus, there's no surprise that we're afraid to talk to people. There's no surprise that we're afraid to talk to people if we're not with Jesus. Think of this. If somebody was like, hey, how's that new movie? And all you had seen was a trailer. What would you tell them? You wouldn't be like, dude, that movie's awesome. No, you'd be like, I don't know. I've only seen the trailer. I don't don't know. What are you asking me for? I don't know. But if you just came out of the movie and somebody was like, hey, how's that movie? You're like, dude. If it was awesome, you would tell them all about it. If it was bad, you'd be like, hey, don't wait for the DVD, right? You would tell them. You would give them your opinion, right? Because you would have an opinion based on experience. Because you've been there. And so for us, it's kind of the same thing. I think we lack the radical life and we lack courage for one reason, because we lack time with Jesus. Because we lack time with Jesus. We're not close to Him. And if we're close to Him, it's easier to be bold. It's easier to stand up for what's right. When we're close to him. You know, it's time for us guys that as a church, we get serious about our relationship with God. That we get serious about our walk with God. And we don't give in to America's idea of Christianity. Because if you're trying to be a Christian without a meaningful and deep life-changing relationship with God and being near Jesus, you know what? I think this, you might not even be a Christian. Because that is what these guys did. These guys were the first Christians. They were the pure Christians. They were the, the, the first, this is the perfect idea of what it looks like, right? And they spent time with Jesus. So let's move on. Acts 4. Back to where we were. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and then they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. And you know what's interesting to me? I wonder, how do they know what they talked about? Yeah. How is it in the Bible? 
They weren't in there with them. And I'm like, that had to be God. God had to put that in there because nobody was in the room, but God knew what they said, right? What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone in Jerusalem knows they performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his name. And, you know, this right here shows you how much power these guys really had. Because they really ought to have been able to tell you, hey, don't do that anymore, and you would listen to them. Okay? These guys had a lot of pull. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. My final point, God was their priority. God was their priority. You know, these guys came in, commanded them, don't speak anymore in Jesus' name. And guys, this strikes me, because I think we get Christianity all wrong. I think in some ways we believe Christianity is about getting our needs met. It's about me. Ah, I feel good. How many times have we gone to church somewhere and we're like, I just don't feel comfortable there? Really? I don't feel comfortable there. Or things that we just feel like, I just need to go and get my needs met. I need to go and be encouraged. These guys, they were well preaching, telling people. They weren't going saying, can somebody encourage me? Can somebody help me? No, they were like, hey, you know what? Jesus died and he came back to life. That's what's up. That's what they were preaching. They didn't say come to church so we can encourage you. They said repent. They said change. Radical. It was powerful. It was strong. Let me get back to my point. That's not even my point. Because Christianity is not about Sunday morning. It's about a call to go and preach. That is what Christianity really is. But what did they say? They said... Which is right? And I always love when they say things like this. Peter and John replied, which is right? And I wonder, how did that work? Did they both at one time say it? Did one say it and they both just got credit for it? I don't know. But it's interesting, right? Think about things like that. How did that work? I don't know. But they said, which is right in God's eyes? For us to listen to you or for us to listen to him? And you know what strikes me? I think sometimes we might do better in our Christianity if someone were opposing us. I really do. If someone was right in your face, you better not be a Christian. We'd probably be like, I'm going to be a strong Christian. Right? Because we're prideful. That's part of it, right? Because we're prideful. But also, there's something about being opposed that makes you want to fight for what you got. But you know what? We're not opposed at all in Christianity in America. We're not opposed at all. We may not have someone telling us, stop preaching. Yeah, that kind of convicts me because I thought, you know, if I was around there in Peter and John's time, would there have been enough... Evidence for them to come be like, hey, you need to calm down. Would they tell me, hey, you need to stop preaching so much. You're preaching too much. Or would they have been like, oh, you're good. Go ahead. Whatever you're... <laughs> that's, probably, that's probably more how it would have been. They'd probably been like, oh, no, you're okay. But Peter and John, you got to stop. That convicts me a lot. But I think this question, which is right, it shows why they changed the world. Because they were committed to doing what was right in God's eyes no matter what. No matter what happened. They had their priorities straight. So they were radical. And you know, like I asked earlier, does radical describe American Christianity? The real question is, does it describe our Christianity? Does it describe your Christianity? Because real Christianity is radical. And so much of that has to do with where our priorities are. So much of whether or not we're radical has to do with who our Lord is, who really leads us. Because maybe there's not a person telling us not to preach or telling us, hey, don't do what's right, come do what's sinful with me. But I think we tell ourselves that. 
all the time. When we're tempted to lust, I wonder, do we tell ourselves, which is right in God's eyes, for me to give in to that or for me to look away? When we're tempted to swear or have a fit of rage or tempted to lie or gossip or anything that's opposed to God's word, do we say, which is right, for me to listen to that or for me to listen to God? The question is, what's your priority? Is it God or is it your life? Because if it's our life, we're not radical. We might be radical for ourselves, which that's not going to change anything. But if we're radical for God, and God is the point of our lives, then we will be radical. We will be crazy. And how do you know? How do you know? Am I, am I radical? I, I don't know. How do I know? Well, look at your life. Pay attention. What do you think about? Remember we talked a few weeks ago about taking captive every thought? What do you think about? Pay attention to your thoughts. If you're thinking about things that are not good, you know where your priority is? Yourself. Okay? What are you most passionate about? What drives you? What do you just like, ah, you want to talk about? Let's talk about this. That's what I'm passionate. What do you talk about? What comes out of your mouth most of the time? How about this? What about being on time? I'll go there. Will you be on time for class, but late to church? Will you be on time for a movie, but late to midweek? How about this? Where do you spend your money? Where do you spend your money? You want to know why I ask all these questions? Those things tell you who's your God. Those things tell you where your priority is. They tell you what's most important. And when we're our own priority, when we do as we see fit, we're no different than this world. We're no different. We're conforming to the pattern of this world. And when we're just like them, you know what? We can't help them. When we're just like them, we cannot make a difference. Radical people stick out. Remember what the thing said? The only thing you can't do is ignore them. That's the only thing you can't do is ignore them. So the question for us this morning is, are we sticking out? Are we the crazy ones? Are we making a difference? And as I close out this morning, our dream is to change Lubbock, to make a huge difference in Lubbock. And not just because we're a nice church that's fun to go to, because we're really making a difference. We're preaching, we're being radical, we're understanding these things that the men in the Bible understood. And it's interesting to me that we have the same Lord they had, we have the same message they have, we have the same God, the same power inside of us that they have. Why can things not change radically now? There's no reason. So see, what makes someone crazy, I believe, is this. The things we've talked about, but also that they see a need, and they're willing to do something about it. They see a need, and they're willing to do something about it. They're willing to go against their feelings, to go against what comes easy, even if it means dying, to make a difference. And you know, the Lovett Church here was planted in 1999, and I'm very encouraged because I feel like we have some people who've moved here who I think are the crazy ones. Because you think about this. we got people like the Claytons, just had a brand new baby, moved here. And it wasn't easy when they first got here. Their apartment wasn't ready. They had to go live with somebody else for a month with two babies and another baby and two dogs. That's crazy. But they were willing to do that. The Casanovas moved here. She's going through a hard, was going through a hard pregnancy. I mean, sick every single day. Willing to move here. Now she's doing well because she had her baby. That's awesome. They're still home with the baby. Hopefully in a week or two they'll be here, but that's incredible. Monroe moved here. Jessica moved here. Ivelisse moved here. David Kerner moved here. It wasn't easy. They were comfortable. They had their homes. Life, you know how you, know how you get caught up in your life and it's easy because you got your things, this is what you do and that's where you go. But then you shake it all up to move. 
Usually we move because something big happened. Our family got sick, something like that. How about let's go make disciples? I'm going to shake my life up because I'm going to go make disciples. Those guys are the crazy ones. And then also, this coming in two weeks, the Viescas will be here. And I'm very encouraged by them. Get this. He's willing to give up the opportunity to advance in his career to put on a new um, rank. Sorry, my brain went blank there for a second. To put on a new rank so that he can come here. So that means he's going to retire in I don't know how many years it is, but he's going to be where he is now as far as his level of rank. He can't make more money. He can't advance because he came here. That is awesome. But why would they do that? Because the crazy ones are willing to shake up their lives so they can shake up the world. But when we get comfortable and we don't want nothing to mess with our lives, you know what we're going to change? Nothing. We might not even change ourselves. We're going to change nothing. But I could go on forever, guys. I had seven more of the pages of notes. Just so you know, I cut, I, I cut this off. But what did they do, these guys, the, the apostles? They preached in the face of danger. They preached when they were beaten. They preached when they were broke. Ooh, that's a hard one. Preached when they were broke. They preached it though it meant going to jail, even though it meant dying. And all of them except John died because of the gospel. That was what they were. They were the crazy ones. What made them crazy? First, they knew God had raised Jesus from the dead. And the resurrection destroyed all fear of death. Second, they had been with Jesus. And when you're with the crazy one, you become a crazy one. And third, God was their priority. So I'm going to close out with this. Here's to the crazy ones. The misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in square holes. The ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules. And they have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. But the only thing you can't do is ignore them. Because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as crazy... As the crazy ones, we see genius. Because people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Amen. Love you guys.